0: Welcome to this episode in our podcast series looking at the FCA's proposals for a new financial services consumer duty. I'm Lara Adamson, an associate in Linklater's Dispute Resolution Practice in London, with a focus on contentious regulatory matters.
1: And I'm Tom Rodham, an associate in Linklater's Dispute Resolution Team in London, and I also have an experience of regulatory enforcement matters. And today we'll be looking at the FCA's proposals for new consumer duty through the lens of consumer redress.
0: Yes, the FCA is consulting on the new consumer duty with the aim of setting higher expectations for the standard of care that firms provide to customers. The proposed duty consists of an overarching consumer principle, and that's accompanied by cross-cutting rules and four consumer outcomes.
1: Now, we're going to look across the topic of consumer redress in financial services and assess how an extended prior right of action, one of the possible proposals for the FCA's consultation, might fit within the current framework. And importantly, if it will be effective in the FCA's aim of providing a higher level of protection to consumers. So, Lara, there are already a range of mechanisms which make firms accountable for breaches of FCA rules and by which consumers can get redressed, aren't there?
0: That's right. And the first port of call for many consumers would be a firm's own complaints procedures. And these can actually be very effective. And of course, firms are required to operate those processes already in line with principles six and seven and DISP. If customers are unhappy with the decision of the relevant firm, at the end of the process, of course, they can usually take their complaint to the financial ombudsman service. So the force
1: was set up back in 2000 to provide an informal way of resolving customer complaints in accordance with what is fair and reasonable, when customers remain unhappy with the way in which firms have responded to their complaints. Now, it's intended to offer a cheaper and faster alternative to court action. However, whilst theoretically it's a quicker route, it can be hard to enforce FOS decisions. And FOS has been criticised in the past for having a bit of a backlog of cases and not always applying their decisions in the most consistent manner.
0: There's also a financial limit to compensation. Though this was recently more than doubled to £355,000, and the range of firms that can access the FOS was widened as a result. This was partly to remedy perceived gaps in options for seeking redress for SMEs who had no real alternatives beyond bringing legal action in court if they were dissatisfied with the way they'd been treated by firms.
1: Now, another potential route is the FSCS, the statute compensation scheme for customers of authorised financial services firms. But as with the FOS, there is a compensation limit. In this case, it's £85,000 in most cases. And it only protects customers when a regulated firm fails.
0: Hmm, yes. And this came back to bites from London capital and finance investors whose interactions with the firm constituted unregulated business. And in that case, the government has had to step in with a statutory compensation scheme for only the third time in history.
1: What about the FCA's own supervisory and enforcement activities?
0: Yes, the FCA, of course, supervises firms to ensure they're complying with principles six and seven and other handbook rules relevant to customers. And they can agree remedial steps with a firm where it's concerned there has been a breach of the rules or principles, which can include establishing a complaints led DISP redress scheme, even outside of enforcement activities.
1: So it can be something the firms can do proactively then, you know, as as a form of voluntary redress.
0: Indeed, and when it comes to enforcement action, the FCA can require a firm to establish a voluntary redress scheme in addition to or instead of a financial penalty as part of a settlement or enforcement action.
1: I suppose there's always the well-known examples, aren't there, these sort of types of voluntary redress schemes. You know, for instance, IRHP back in 2012. But what about the more compulsory forms of redress that the FCA can impose?
0: Oh, yes. One of the key powers the FCA has is under Section 404 of FISMA. Under that section, the FCA can order firms to establish and operate compulsory redress schemes, and they can also be industry wide. Section four hundred four can be used where the FCA considers there's been a widespread or regular failure to comply with regulatory obligations and customers have suffered loss as a result. And
1: when this power was introduced, there was quite a significant concern, wasn't there, that it would allow the FCA to act as judge, jury and executioner. But I think in fact really the FCA's use of the power has been pretty limited in reality, hasn't it?
0: Yeah, and perhaps one of the reasons for this is that the FCA's Section 404 power can only be exercised where a consumer would also have a legal right to bring court action in respect of the breach.
1: I suppose the other lesser known power the FCA has is under, I think, Sections 382 and 383 of FISMA. Those allow the FCA to apply to the court's restitution for a breach of FCA rules or a breach of MAR under Section 383. The FCA also has a slightly lesser known administrative power in relation to restitution and the market abuse in Section 384.
0: Though I think we would agree that the FCA has used these powers sparingly so far, probably one well-known example is the use of Section 384 in conjunction with a final notice to Tesco in 2017, and that was related to market abuse, which required the payment of restitution in the amount of £85 million.
1: But unlike civil claims restitution, the FCA doesn't need to show causation or worry about remoteness, does it? Which it would if I suppose have to do if it wanted to go if someone wants to go and bring a breach of duty action in court. I suppose this makes the scope of it potentially uh, a lot wider.
0: Indeed. So so far we have talked about the framework for a redress, including firms' own complaint schemes, the Financial Ombudsman Service, the FCA's powers and statutory compensation and restitution schemes what other avenues are open to consumers to take action?
1: Well, there is an existing private right of action in FISMA under Section 138D, but its scope has always been fairly limited. Um, One of the interesting points here is it now looks like the FCA might be seeking to change that a bit. The FCA proposes to potentially go and extend the private right of action in FISMA to cover breaches of the FCA principles, including any new consumer principle that they choose to bring out.
0: And expanding the private right of action looks like a straightforward way to circumvent some of the limits we've just talked about, but is it? Well,
1: that is the question. Um, as we said, you know, a private right of action is nothing new. Uh, the ability to bring claims against firms for breaches of FCA rules under Section 138D has been around for quite a while now. However, it's pretty narrow as it really only applies to private individuals, so not business customers, and only to some FCA rules. A key point here is that it does not apply to breaches of the FCA's principles. In practice, this is a pretty big carve out, given the way in which the FCA typically exercise their powers.
0: Yes, the Section 138D claims often appear in mis-selling uh, cases. And a classic example are claims for breaches of Cobb's rules and similar source books. In fact, the client's best interest rule in Cob 2.1.1R is very similar to one of the potential formulations of the consumer duty.
1: There's also ICOMS Rule 2.2.2, which um, repeats much of the wording of Principle 7. So in certain contexts, really, we have a private right of action in respect of some of the principles already.
0: But what the FCA are proposing is to extend the private right of action to cover all breaches of the FCA's principles, including the proposed new consumer principle, however it's eventually formulated, But importantly, the definition of private individual at Section 138D is narrower than the proposed definition of retail consumers under the proposed consumer principle. Private individual under the rights of action regulations specifically excludes any legal person carrying on any form of business activity. There doesn't seem to be any suggestion in the FCA's consultation paper that the FCA is planning to extend the right of action to business customers. They'd need to update The rights of action regulations to do that. So in essence,
1: if you're a sole trader or an SME seeking redress in a private right of action in respect to the FCA's principles, this probably isn't going to be much help to you, is it?
0: No, it wouldn't seem like it would do.
1: Which does raise the question, what would an extended private right of action actually achieve?
0: Well, it's clear from reading the FCA's consultation paper that the FCA were also in two minds about whether an extended private right of action is, is going to work. The consultation paper doesn't actually make any specific proposals in relation to extending the private right of action. And the section covering it is largely devoted to outlining the various arguments for and against.
1: Unlike the rest of the paper, you really don't get the feeling like the FCA have really made their mind up yet in respect to really to whether or not they want to extend the private right of action, or really is whether or not it's actually beneficial.
0: Yeah, I can see how giving consumers another potential string to their bow in terms of seeking redress would appear attractive. It would also serve to underline the importance of the proposed consumer duty to firms. And it's been suggested that it might be a more powerful deterrent to firms to avoid breaching the FCA's principles than the threat of enforcement action alone.
1: Also, I think another potential positive is that an extended copyright action could in theory lead to a more successful FCS claims coming into being and enable the FCA to roll out more compulsory redress schemes. I think in both cases, compensation payments can only be required if the firm in question owes a consumer a civil liability.
0: On the flip side, more litigation is not always a good thing.
1: (laughs) No, it isn't. Um, Particularly when other forms of redress, like the FOS, are likely to be quicker and cheaper for the vast majority of individual customers.
0: That said, there is a risk that if a private right of action broadens the scope of firms' potential liability to consumers, claims management companies and litigation funders could combine to bring group actions on their behalf – And that would circumvent some of the disadvantages of court litigation, like time and costs. And that could have some unintended consequences, not least the increased threat of litigation, making firms more risk averse and limiting innovation. More court claims may also ultimately increase costs across the sector. There's
1: also the risk that giving the courts more scope to opine on the application of the FCA principles and rules could lead to a bit more inconsistency and confusion coming into the mix. In fact, I think the original rationale for not allowing a private right of action under the principles was partly the risk that the courts would start driving how the principles should be interpreted and applied.
0: Yes, you're right. The broad scope of the principles makes them a useful tool for regulation, but I would say it makes them unsuited to civil litigation.
1: Probably one of the key and most topical issues for me is that the extended prior right of action won't provide any assistance to customers falling outside of the regulatory perimeter. Like the principles, the FCA has stated that the consumer principle will only apply to firms in relation to their regulated activities.
0: So that means that any private right of action based on the principles, including any new consumer principle, is unlikely to be much assistance to consumers who have unwittingly bought unregulated products and then lost out. I'm thinking about the uh, mini bondholders in the case of London Capital Finance again.
1: That is another example of just how complicated and patchy the landscape for seeking redress is.
0: Yes, it would seem that the current redress framework is rather disparate. It's not always clear if consumers know which avenues are open to them. And the FCA has a number of existing powers we've talked about that it isn't using very often. And sometimes the options that do exist simply don't apply to a situation in which consumers have suffered harm, which means that both individuals and firms can slip through the regulatory gaps.
1: There are also limits to each of the available routes we've mentioned which is also operated to prevent customer securing redress, or potentially complete redress.
0: So there is a question about whether an expanded private right of action would actually solve these issues in practice, whether it would in effect plug the existing gaps, or whether it actually just adds another option with its own inherent limits to an already complicated landscape. Plus, it might actually work against the FCA,
1: as it would in some instances lose control of the interpretation of some of their principles.
0: And uh, we will leave that question with you, our listeners, as that's all we have time for.
1: Now, if you're interested in reading more, then on the LinkedInGators.com website, you can find our Consumer Duty Campaign page, which we've posted further podcasts and articles considering aspects of the FCA's proposals here.
0: And remember to share and subscribe to the podcast feed for more insights from us.
1: Thanks for listening and goodbye.